This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell from the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Bayrus Bajani, welcome to Better Reading. Thank you for having me. I feel that it's a real honour and privilege to have you here today. But I also feel that this country owes you an apology. And I'd like to say sorry, um, certainly from from here, from Better Reading. And uh, it's, 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 well, the conversation will develop. Um, but let me introduce you first. Beirut is a Kurdish-Iranian journalist, writer and refugee who was imprisoned in Australia's offshore detention centre on Manus Island for six years. His first book, No Friend But The Mountains, writing from Manus Prison, which he wrote and published while he was detained, won the 2019 Victoria Prize for Literature, in addition to the non-fiction category. He has also won the Special Award at the New South Wales Literary Awards, the Australian Book Industry Award for Non-Fiction and the National Biography Prize. He's here today to talk about his new book, Freedom, Only Freedom. It contains his collected writings alongside alongside essays from experts on migration, refugee rights, politics and literature. I feel that this country, this country's obsession with immigration and migration and what commonly people like to call boat people, which I think is offensive, is because it comes from our history and how we came to be. Yeah, I think uh, yeah, this whole policy mm. to banish refugees to islands like Manus, Nauru, and keep them in indefinite detention for many years, that is very related to history of colonialism in Australia. And that exactly comes from the colonialism mentality. Mm. And... Uh, it's just a classic version of colonialism that mm. Australia is using those islands as a land of exile, mm. as a cage. Uh, but, you know, when I was in Manus Island, I've been in touch and with many people there, local people. 40,000 people live in Manus Island, but no one hears them, no one talks about them. And they were really angry about that, about this policy. But no one listened to them. So mm-hmm. Australia just banished people there and used that land as a cage. And uh, also the way Australia treats refugees mm-hmm. is very, very related to history of Australia and that mentality that I mentioned. So that is the whole point, I think, 
Mm. I naively thought when I was little, growing up in this country, my parents are Lebanese, um, and I grew up with a large degree of experiencing racism. We all did, you know. Um, we were called wogs. You've probably heard yeah. that term. I mean, you know, as a child, I still, you know, had a really good upbringing and largely felt happy, but never, ever did I ever feel Australian, and I still don't. And you don't get that privilege unless you're born here. That is very Australian. Yeah, of course, racism is here, you know. That, that comes from racism as well mm. because... You know, in this country for decades, there was a policy called white Australia, white, white policy. They white just Australian let, policy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They just let white people to come here. Mm. So we came here. We seek asylum. Um, Talk to me about that. What the journey of coming to Australia and why? What was happening in your country? Yeah, I uh, I am Kurdish, so we have a Persian supremacy in Iran. Yeah. So we are the ethnic minorities. We, we are struggling. So I come from a part of Kurdistan, west of Iran, that our people have been struggling with the process of assimilation. Mm-hmm. Our language is informal. Our culture is informal. And uh, I was working with some friends. Uh, we uh, found a magazine called Weria to write and work to educate people, tell people, our people, that how is important to keep the language alive, how is important that they write and speak with our language. And after a while, they uh, raid our office and arrested some of my colleagues. So that's why I had to leave. And that is quite interesting that I came to Australia and I just had a just image about Australia, you know, a typical image that people have around the world. So I came to Australia and they I'm just, just banished inter- me. Yeah. yeah, I'm just going to interrupt here because I just want to refer to a chapter in the book, Freedom Only Freedom is the book, and where the chapter is Australia exceptional in its brutality. Do you know when I first read that, because I was flicking through the book earlier on, I thought it said Australia exceptional in its beauty. (laughs) And that's the irony, right? Yeah. Because that's what people think of it until you get here. Yeah, there is an image about Australia. and This image is uh, just uh, Australia as a white country Hmm. with uh, large, beautiful beaches. Yeah, large, beautiful beaches, uh, I don't know, beautiful cities. And that is the typical image about Australia. And uh, so I came here. I came here and they just banished me. How and did that's you come where, here? Yeah, yeah. I came by, I went to Indonesia. So I was there for about two months. That was very difficult, really difficult situation because I didn't feel safe with the Indonesian police. And after that, I took a boat and I went to Australia. But the boat was almost drowned. Mm. And uh, then they arrested us. They rescued us and then arrested us and put us in a jail. Then I escaped from that jail. And after two weeks, I took on another boat to Australia. But this time, we lost on the ocean. 
And finally, after a week, they took us from water, uh, Australian Navy. And yeah, just I ended up in Christmas Island. And after so, that, you never touched the shores of Australia in your no, Australia. just Christmas Island. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, so that must have been such a shock, um, I guess, because you thought you were coming to Australia. And did you feel initially that this was only temporary? That somehow people are going to hear me out, someone's going to help me somehow? Uh, in Manus Island? Yeah. Yeah, but, you know, the point is that we are talking about indefinite detention, indefinite prison. But did you know that at the beginning? Yeah, yeah, because they didn't tell us how long we stayed there. So we just expected that after three months, four months, six months, and after that, just we were waiting, you know, for years and years and years. And finally, I ended up in New Zealand. But uh, the thing that is really interesting that when I arrived in Australia in Christmas Island, they didn't ask me who you are. Did you have a passport? No, my passport was uh, just uh, Indonesian police took my passport. Yeah. But when I arrived in Australia, I just, I didn't have shoes. (laughs) Mm. Yeah, because I lost my things on the ocean. I just had a a book, a poetry book. Mm. Yeah, that was quite interesting. But uh, when I... In Manus Island, after six months, we did a riot in Manus Island. Mm, And then we had to leave the prison camp for like three, four hours. And when we came back to the prison, the local people stole our property. Mm. So I lost that book. Mm. Another thing that I thought growing up was that I always thought refugee camps were places of refuge. But that's just completely not true. No, it was uh, definitely is a. I I use the word systematic torture. Mm. So those prison camps is a, just a place to torture people, to dehumanize people. Mm. So that design like that, and you know we are facing an industry. You know mm. it is an industry. It is an industry to of lock people torture. Up. Yeah, yeah. To people put people there. Not only in offshore, you know, in onshore. Well, what about that those group of people kept in a hotel in Melbourne? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right now that I'm talking with you, there are hundreds of people who are in uh, detention in Australia. Yeah. And uh, when I arrived here actually last week, someone contacted me from Willowwood. I think it was from Willowwood. Yeah. Yeah, he... That's one of the oldest detention centers. Yeah, yeah, he has been in that prison camp for 10 years. Yeah. And I I don't understand that. 10 years, it's uh, it's huge. I mean, it's it's like those um, people down in Melbourne too, in the hotel. I mean, how much did it cost us to lock people up in a hotel? But also too, I I don't understand why we... I mean, you know, there's the bigger picture of global and, and, and human movement around the world and why and that how that happens. And it's usually because of first world countries, right? But anyway, that's another podcast entirely. But when people come seeking for refuge, 
when people need help, when people, I mean, you know, like my parents in the 50s. Now, now they didn't come by boat. They came from plane. But as, at the time, Australians wanted, uh, they wanted migrants. They wanted migrant workers. So it really depends on what the policy is at the time. But what is astounding to me is those people can be let out into the community to come and they become productive. They live, they buy, they eat, they drink. What is it that we can't allow that to happen? Sure, we might be worried about one or two of those people. Maybe we're worried that, you know, somebody is a terrorist or somebody is a criminal, maybe one in a hundred. But maybe that one in a hundred, we ask that person to report in every day or there's a system. One in one million. <laughs> yeah, maybe one in one million. That's right. But we ask that person, maybe if we're worried, that that person person shows up at the police station, say, once a week or whatever to register. Meanwhile, while those people are being processed or whatever kind of function you're doing, they go out into the community and they become, you know, members of the community that add value to the community. I just, I don't understand why it is that we have to lock them up because it's not cheaper, it's not more cost effective and it's inhumane. Yeah, they spend $14 billion dollars oh. on this policy oh. and... Oh, it's dreadful. I really don't understand it, but I think a part of this policy is a kind of sadism. Yeah. So, sadism with racism. So, it seems that people or a part of society in Australia enjoy that sadism, mm. enjoy to keep people and torture them and that is a torture in public when you mm. put people in those hotels and just that go on the news people talk about them but still they are there they still they keep them nothing there. happens yeah yeah that is uh, i i understand it as a like a kind of sadism you know mm. or we can say national sadism mm. or that how people enjoy that people and that in Australia is normalized you know they normalize torturing people keeping kids in uh, indefinite detention for years and years so that is a but as I mentioned before it is an industry mm. so for keeping that industry alive mm. they should have detainees mm. when I think about Sometimes, you know, you have to grapple with your own country's behaviour and your own country's history. You know, it makes me feel very, very uncomfortable. But then I look at globally, I look at what we're doing all over the world, you know, and I look at the Palestinians. We, they don't even make the news anymore. People are not interested anymore in the persecution of the Palestinians. We have become desensitised to the news. Yeah, that is, uh, I think, that is a problem. That's why in my work, of course, I was reporting while I was in Manus Island and I was writing articles, I was doing interviews. <laughs> Almost every day I was doing interview, But that is not enough, you know. That's why I shifted my work from that kind of journalism to writing to write literature, you know, use mm. literature to expose that system and mm. also art. Mm. That's why I uh, challenge the system through mm. 
artistic language and that absolutely people understand it people understand yeah. the soul of this system yeah l- how life is inside that prison camp that is my approach you know that has been my approach to create a knowledge you know about it to create a new language mm. that people you know it's a critical language that people uh, have a better understanding but the only problem with that is those of us that read that already have the empathy we already have the understanding of the injustice you know and governments tend to focus on the other people and get them riled up you know a bit like trump and maga you know they tend to focus on those people that probably aren't the readers of that yeah i know but i think change come from here you know yeah. change yeah. come from uh, i think art yeah uh, literature that is really powerful language absolutely and now that i'm here is exactly because i was writing you know yeah uh, that's true yeah i hadn't thought about yeah, that yeah that is the yeah. power of uh, yeah. literature that that is mm. power of writing you mm. know but uh, generally i should say that what is important is understanding you know mm. of that system mm. i find readers understand the different layers of that system and mm. this policy mm. i find readers generally you know readers of fiction readers of commercial fiction even you know just show a tremendous amount of empathy there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plushcare PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I just want to go go back to a global perspective as well in the way that I was speaking to someone on this podcast recently and we were talking about the US and we were talking about Trump and I said I I can't think of one strategy or policy that he represented or stood up for like what did he do for that country and that person said he built the wall I just thought here we go again like we can't seem to function as democracies as countries as unless we have somebody to hate do, do you agree with yeah, that yeah i think yeah yeah that that that's happening in australia yeah, yes so but it's happening a lot everywhere with yeah, all yeah, these right everywhere but i should mention that that happened under uh, national security yes you know so they created yes. that so they say that these refugees come here they are a threat for uh, border national security, security. Yeah, i yeah. love that yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and that's why the refugees haven't been able to access to court you know mm, mm. we we have been out of law 
But in the same time, we have been victim under law. Mm-hmm. So, of course, they they have done that under national security mm-hmm. because they they just create a fear. They make people scared mm-hmm. of uh, future. That's why, and they always have been successful. Mm-hmm. So our job, our work, is to challenge that. Mm-hmm. Our work is to make people aware, but. Making people aware is not enough. Many people are aware of what is happening, but we should help people to understand, you mm. know, mm. understand. Do you this, know there's this. another um, global hatred that I see? And, and, you know, it's cyclic. So for the longest time, I mean, you'd know this, if you were watching American movies, the bad guys were the Russians, you know, for ages. And then all of a sudden that changed. You started seeing that the bad guys were usually Arabs. Yeah. Right? So you see that. And then that little, just that little move then becomes a groundswell. And then that is really what people start understanding. Like people start to fear it just through the films that they see. Yeah, that that is not, uh, that didn't happen suddenly like this, you know. In terms of refugees, or you said Arab, or you know people who, mm. you know that image about people mm. that have been created over the decades, you know, mm. and I think media has a big role in this context, mm. and we we have been victim because of media as well, you know, mm. the media, mainstream media, how they you know, represent refugees, how they represent migrants, how they picture them. Mm-hmm. And so that's what, and my work has been challenging that image, you know, mm-hmm. that image about But, you know, governments use it as a tool, you know. I mean, yeah, John exactly. Howard yeah. used it as a fear tool, you know. Yeah. I mean, Scott Morrison's portfolio before he was prime minister was stop the boats. He had a little trophy in his office about that. What does that mean? Yeah, so, so I mean, yeah. yeah, that happened in Australia a lot. But yeah. so politicians do their work; mm-hmm. they just think about power, how to get power, how mm-hmm. to keep it. But we, as a writers, I don't know, artists, our role is to challenge that. You know, yeah. and tell me, tell me. Going back and, uh, and you know, if you don't want to talk about that, let me know as well. But what was a day like in Manus Island? What did what did a day look like? I've, I've written about this a lot, but uh, so it's just a prison, you know, yeah. it's a prison. And when you wake up, you should stay in the line to get yeah. breakfast. You should stay in the line for an hour, two hours. Then after that, you should stay in the line for lunch and after that for dinner and just that is a just a image about life there but of course life uh, even inside the prison camp continues you know always people find a way to resist always people find a way to create some joy you know and sometimes that happens through humor you know some people are just funny some people do performance and that make people, you know, 
for a moment forget about the system, singing, um, writing, I don't know, having connection with animals, with uh, um, nature. I, there's a real, um, in, in this book, Freedom Only Freedom, I mean, there's a, a real connection with animals there. There's poetry about birds and I can understand, you know, uh, where that came from. It's so beautiful. But that reminds me of, um, you know, when you're in solitary confinement, not that I've had the experience, but I've read this experience where you're in solitary confinement and you see colour, for instance. You'll see an orange or you'll see something, you know, a banana that's yellow and that kind of lights up your life and gives you hope, I guess because it's representative of the outside world. Do you think animals are that as well? Yeah, definitely. I imagine if they would build a prison in in a, that prison in a middle of a desert, mm. that could be. I don't think that we could survive, you know. So that we were in a tropical area, and so of course nature was there, you know. And in the, in my first book, you see that how there is a struggle or a battle mm -hmm. between nature and prison, how nature uh, dominates mm -hmm. itself on the prison camp and how, uh, you know, the natural elements exist there. Sometimes a snake mm -hmm. accidentally come mm -hmm. into the prison camp, uh, dogs, uh, birds and even the sky, moon, and listening to ocean. Mm. You know, all of that, of course, that nature as a place to escape, uh, nature as a place to rely on, I think is very important in that context. Mm, I agree. I just want to just briefly talk about um, the writing of your first book. Can you just, for those of people who haven't read it yet and, and don't know the story. It's called No Friend But The Mountains. Tell me how that book came about. Yeah, so that book, uh, so I smuggled a phone in on 2013 when after a while I was there. So I collected cigarettes and I just uh, bought a phone. I gave it to one of the local officers who was working there. So I smuggled a phone in and I started to communicate with people. I didn't know anyone in Australia. And after that, so I started to write work as a journalist, but I shifted my work to writing, you know, writing a book. And that book, I was just writing uh, with long messages and I send it to... So you're writing in text format? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I send it to... I used to send it to Omi Tofikian who translated the book and now he is uh, alongside Munis Mansubi. They have been... Uh, they translated this book, in this, this new book, No From the Freedom, Only Freedom, the yeah. new book. And they edited it as well. Uh, so I've been working with Omid. I just sent him uh, with the long messages. And then those long messages, we put them together, you know, as a chapter. So when a chapter finished, I work on another chapter. But in the same time that I was writing the book, 
Omid was translating the book as well. Mm. How did you meet Omid? Yeah, I used to work with Munis Mansubi. Right. Uh, so she translated many of my articles that I published mostly in Guardian on that time and the Saturday paper. And after a while, uh, Omid read one of the articles in Guardian and he contacted me because he has been working uh, about refugees and about uh, detention for many years. So we just met each other on internet and then yeah, we started to work together and then he translated the book and now he edited this book as well and translated it with mm. Munis. So it was six years of, of being in prison and tell me about the day, the, the day that you finally were free and the day that you left. Yeah, the day I, I went to uh, New Zealand because I got invitation from World Festival in Christchurch in New Zealand. So we. So you went straight from Manus to New Zealand? No, no. On that time, they closed Manus. Right. So when they closed Manus, they, on 2019, they transferred all of the refugees to Port Mosby. Right. The capital city. Yes. And when we arrived there, on that time, most of the refugees were transferred to America and also to Australia under Medivac law. Right. And just, uh, I think 300 on that time remain. And I thought that it is a time that I should leave. And I just, uh, through UNHCR, I applied for visa from New Zealand. They gave me visa. Uh, but that was quite interesting because I couldn't... The best way was that I fly to uh, Australia and from Australia I go to New Zealand. But the lawyer said, no, if you do that, they will deport you. So I flew to Philippines in north. Yep. It took six hours. Then I was there for 20 hours. And after that, I flew to New Zealand, which took like nine hours. So it was a very long journey, but that happened. And uh, What was the feeling of walking out at the airport and walking into the street? I was not sure that it will happen because mm. any time they could deport me, even in Port Mosby, they, yeah, it was difficult. It had the long process and UNHCR officer was there to help me but finally that happened so I got in the plane and we went to the Philippines so when I just arrived in New Zealand when I, when I passed the gate I felt that was amazing feeling because for many years I yeah. didn't think about past yeah. and in that moment I for the first time, I look at the past. That wow, that was a long journey, you know. So, but finally, that happened. Yeah. So, did you ever think about the future? Like, did you ever think what it's going to be like the day I, I can walk the streets, the day I can get out of here? Or do you try not to let your mind go there because hope seems futile? A prisoner always think about freedom, mm -hmm. think about future. And that effect on your understanding of time. Mm -hmm. So when you come out, time goes very fast. Mm -hmm. 
because your understanding of time changed and uh, that is quite interesting so still I I struggle with time it's so fast recently I bought a calendar I put in my room that a big calendar that I stop it (laughs) make it slow it's so fast yeah but uh, yeah it's quite interesting Mm-hmm. understanding of time mm-hmm. because I've, you think about future always mm-hmm. but when you come out you don't have to think about it no my personal mantra is trying to live in the present i try not to think ahead and i try not to think back um but we do we all do yeah. i i often think about um when people that have been castrated for many years like you know particularly in solitary confinement um And, you know, you see them on the news and they're coming off the plane and they're giving their husband a big hug or their their parents a big hug. And, you know, it's a sense of euphoria. Everybody's very happy. But then I often wonder what it's like for those people in the next couple of months, how to learn to live life again. It, It takes time, you know. It takes time that you learn again, learn and understand, accept that you are free, you mm-hmm. know. It takes time. But for me, I had a very simple imagination of uh, freedom. Mm. Just to walk on the street and probably have a cigarette. I don't know. Yeah, and that, a that, coffee. That's, and a black coffee. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, that's, that is my... Uh, I have a very simple understanding of freedom. So yeah. still I enjoy walking on the street. Yeah. It's my favorite. Mm, there is, there is. And, you know, I mean, you don't realize how special that is until you don't have it. In allowing yourself to think about the future, do you see yourself in living in New Zealand? Like, where do you see yourself in the next couple of years? I live in New Zealand and I'm, ha- I'm happy in New yeah. Zealand. It's <laughs> so. not a bad place. No. Yeah, it's great, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. that's it. You'll take it day by day. Yeah, I just live there. I have my friends. Mm. Just enjoy time, mm. working, walking. Yeah. yeah. Um, I was thinking perhaps that you might read part of your poem. Um, I know I haven't asked you this before the podcast, but there was the a particular one that I quite liked. Would you be happy to do that for me? Yeah, I can do that, but I don't think that my accent. Oh, I I really like your accent. So So would you like to read part of that poem? What's it called? Yeah, it doesn't have a title, but we put it Manus Island Poem. Yeah, it's very silly title. (laughs) (laughs) It is, but it's not a silly poem. It worked for me beautifully. Inside the cage, the man loves you. Inside the cage located between the vastest ocean and the greenest forest. Forgive me, my love. Forgive me, my love, as I am only able to love you from a remote island inside the cage. From the corner of this small room, forgive me, please, as the only portion of the world that belongs to me is 
these pieces. Did I read it well? I don't know. I'm not sure. You read it beautifully. Yeah. Beirut Pajani, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you very much. If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda Audiobooks are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere, or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBook Store. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, join your local public library, and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of e-books and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow, and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks. Anywhere. Everywhere. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Acast anbefaler. Mit navn er Anders Morgenthaler. Over for mig sidder Roald Bergmann. Vi har lavet en ny podcast, der hedder Dopaminklubben. Og Dopaminklubben er en klub, hvor ADHD er fucking sjovt, og hvor det griner. Det behøver ikke at være super alvorligt. Vi skider skrætte af alle de der podcast og forklarer mig nederen der. Vi gør grin med vores ADHD. Mulig ADHD. Ja, vi udreder mig, fordi nogen siger, at jeg har det. Jeg ved det ikke rigtigt, det finder vi ud af. Vi har i hvert fald lavet vedmål. Ind og lyt til Dopaminklubben. Hver uge udkommer vi. Der laver vi sjov og spas med at have den her vidunderlige dopaminmangel. 